I'm Alex Mosed. You're here on Winner Take All. Welcome to 2020. This is our first episode of the new year. Hope everyone had a great holiday, happy new year, and are re-energized and ready to rock and roll. Uh, so we've, you know, past couple weeks have been pretty interesting in the news. And so, we, you know, I thought I'd start it off uh, on a topical front. We've been talking a lot about what's going on with foreign policy and these kinds of things. The two favorite company, two favorite countries that love to be uh, made into the the bad actor in the United States are Russia and China. So we're going to start right there. And um, so basically, there's now we've been talking about on the show for a while that via the Belt and Road Initiative from China, China is exporting all of its internet infrastructure to other countries like Russia. It's in Africa. The first country in Africa was Uganda. These countries are taking the technology from China, which allows China to have the Great Firewall, which allows China to regulate uh, what information comes into China, what websites are accessible by uh, people based in China, right? So, you, you know, Facebook is blocked in China, right? Google is blocked in China. So it's, it's blocking and regulating access to certain types of information or websites or apps. And then it's also monitoring what you are doing while on the internet in China, right? So looking at what types of content you're engaging or what types of content you're creating, what messages are you sending, all of that stuff. So here we go. Russia has successfully tested its unplugged internet. Well, what does that mean, unplugged internet? Well, basically, uh, they have a countrywide alternative to the global <laughs> to the global internet. You would think that internet would be synonymous with just kind of being openly accessible, but now, now, twenty twenty, you know, really, I would call this the splinternet. This is now there aren't just there are these kind of two dichotomies, right? There's two end of the spectrums where there's kind of the U.S., which is very open. We basically have no laws on um, what what data comes in and out of the country. Data storage, for example, we have no laws on, unless it's it's very kind of mission critical industries, the defense industry, um, or certain other industries, or certain audiences that are protected, like children. Uh, I think if you're under 13 or 14 years old, right? There's special rules, um, but it's in very select cases. Uh, nuclear energy, right? These kinds of things. On the other end of the spectrum is China. Completely closed off, completely regulated. Everything you do is watched. And now what you're going to start to see are all of these different countries or regions are going to gravitate towards one end of the spectrum uh, and pick and choose different components of what they want based upon uh, the, the regime that's in power, you know, whether they're democratic or not, all these different political variables. Russia, you know, not to much surprise here, uh, is much on the closer end of the spectrum to China. This computer scientist from the University of Surrey, sadly, the Russian direction of travel is just another step in, in, in the increasing breaking up of the internet. So it's just becoming more closed off. Um, Putin is directly involved in this. How did domestic internet work? It's basically just like how the internet works in China. And so you're just going to have much more control, oversight, and uh, and monitoring of what goes on. 
They talk about in Iran, the National Information Network allows access to web services while policing all content on the network and limiting external information. I know, look, they even take the term. Another example of this is the so-called Great Firewall in China. It's happening. Put Russia towards the end of uh, the spectrum towards China. China's stuff is more advanced, more intrusive, uh, much heavier surveillance, but Russia is on that path uh, to try and get there. It's not to say that our U.S. agencies aren't spying on Americans in the sense that they are consuming all of this just massive data dump of what you're doing. They are doing this as well. It's not to the same degree of um, oversight of regulating access and regulating usage, uh, but they are still snooping on what you're doing online, which in general is just not okay. It's just unfortunate the general trend is going in the direction of of uh, oversight, of regulation, of more and more snooping uh, by these government entities. Let's look at the other best friend, China. China has now implemented new internet censorship rules. This is this Wall Street Journal. This Wall Street Journal article is not even that good. This one's actually much better um, from Engadget. China internet rules call for algorithms that recommend positive content. It wants automated systems to echo state policies. This is all from, they actually have a department called the Cyber, Cyberspace Administration of China. That's where all of this stuff is centralized out of. We don't have anything like that in the U.S. The Cyberspace Administration of China has published upcoming rules that dictate how internet companies manage content, including a push for recommendation algorithms that promote positive ideas, i.e., that are in line with government policies, uh, while excluding bad material. The measure explicitly forbids content that endangers national security, leaks state secrets, subverts state power, and undermines national unity. In other words, internet companies can't challenge the political status quo. Um, they're due to take effect on March 1st. What's interesting with this is at what level of company do you have to be, right? How big of a company do you have to be um, for you to really be on the radar, you know, it doesn't really explicitly, um, delineate, Oh, if you're a billion dollar company, do you have to abide by these things? And what if you're a $10 million company, you know, could you be hauled away for violating these things? I don't know. In the United States, when, when you have a lot of this regulation, it really actually helps the incumbents. It helps. So in China's case, a 10 cent, um, an Alibaba, a Baidu, because they can comply with these rules. They can use machine learning and all these algorithms that the Wall Street Journal article is talking about. They can actually have that infrastructure to be much more robust than the up-and-coming tech startups that now have to divert resources away from, say, growth or new features and focus it on complying with government regulation. So that'll be interesting. Um, I'm sure it's only if you are you know, of a of a considerable size that the Chinese government would focus on this, at least initially. But we actually saw this hurt a lot of in 2019, a lot of the Chinese tech monopoly companies, particularly like Tencent, where they where we covered this, where they had a lot of um, different tech and media businesses that they owned, which had trouble making regulators happy. They had to invest a lot of money to try and build the infrastructure to comply with these rules. And their stock price took a pretty big hit as a result because there's a lot of fear about what 
regulators would impose fines or actually shut you down. Uh, And so it actually weighed on a lot of the stock prices of the Chinese tech platform companies that have a media arm of some sort, which just about all of them pretty much do to some degree or another. It'll be interesting to see if these rules create a whole new swath of that stuff, or if this is just kind of formalizing what everyone knew they had to do anyway. You know, the the Chinese government had placed these teams of people inside these tech companies. Um, So I don't know if there's that much additional stuff the large tech monopolies in China need to now do extra, uh, or if this is more just formalizing things that they had already been told to do um, otherwise. Going back to Russia, talking about Plaid again, despite all this, we're going to talk about Plaid's performance in 2019, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, but Yandex is in Plaid. Yandex is like the Google, it's like Google and Uber combined into one and it's the russian version of it they're the they do search and then they do ride sharing and they do like uber eats too it's like and throw grubhub in there or or caviar when in postmates put all three of those together and that's the index um it's russia's only public platform company that's in plat and um we covered it a few weeks ago where their stock price literally lost 20 percent overnight because the russian government put rules on how much um, foreign ownership you can own in the index and these kind of critical tech companies in Russia. So you see that massive drop there, uh, like September, October timeframe. And now it's, it, it, it's back. You see a massive drop. Then like a couple of weeks later, it, re, it recovered half of it. And then that was when they started to say, well, you know, they might be now the Russian government might actually ease off some of these rules because they had a lot of large foreign ownership like Platt. Platt was an owner and it still is an owner in the index. And so if the Russian government limits that to 20 percent, that's kind of a problem. So you then saw that starting to ease. And then why it really spiked back up and basically just went back to where it was, was because this. So Russia's Yandex approves corporate governance structure changes. Yandex's priority golden share, it's basically like the voting uh, control, from Russian state-owned lender Spurbank to a new public interest foundation, which will oversee the business and have expanded veto powers over company ownership. It's kind of crazy, right? So they don't actually kind of troll them. You know, the whole idea of like a private company well, that's all out the window anyway, but anyway, what does this mean? So Putin's directly involved in this. They get the green light from Putin over this new governance structure. They signed a law <laughs> uh, to, uh, you know, to, to put this into effect. And the new structure will include a public interest foundation run by a board of 11 Russian nationals with the power to block a single entity accumulating a 10% or more stake in the index, either in terms of ownership or voting rights, that is down from the current threshold of 25%. Basically, they don't want a large, say, U.S. tech company to come in and buy Yandex, which they see as a critically important systemic uh, part of the Russian infrastructure, which I would agree it is. Um, I think, you know, in theory... I've talked about the role of tech protectionism and tech protectionism to a certain degree actually being very good for China, namely. And look at the 
Chinese tech community that they've been able to foster? Why are six of the top 10 tech companies in the world Chinese tech companies? Because China kept all of the U.S. tech monopolies out of China. And they enabled a grassroots and organic tech community to be fostered in China to keep the money, to keep the people, to keep the resources, the knowledge in China. So now you have a very large, robust, and thriving tech community, whether that's entrepreneurs, large Chinese tech companies, VC community. You have all the different components now of a legitimate tech community that you need in China. This is what Europe failed to do. Look at Europe. Why is Europe... I have all the country allocation right here. I mean, Europe has... 10% maybe of representation in plat. China, this says 16%, uh, US at 58%. So tech protectionism works. It's worked in China. Russia is doing this for Yandex. They did it in a little crude way. It didn't need to be as aggressive with the foreign ownership limits and the things that they put into place around that when really they're not so much concerned about the aggregate amount of foreign ownership whether it's 20% or 30% or whatever, they're really concerned. Does one entity own a significant amount of the company where now they can influence how the company operates, where now they can kind of take control and uh, steer the company in a direction that maybe isn't in the best interest of Russia? That honestly makes sense to me. Um, could have been handed in a little bit more delicate manner. Um, it will be interesting if this structure just creates a lot more bureaucracy because this other article says that this, this public interest foundation will oversee the business. That seems a little vague. That seems concerning to me. If it's just the second part here, have expanded veto powers over company ownership, that I'm not so much concerned about. But the former part, overseeing the business, who's actually running the business, and are you taking the control away from the management? which are strong managers. The company's done very well in the stocks and in, in the stock price and its growth made great moves to move and become a platform conglomerate outside of just search, which is where it started. Are you taking that away and diluting that and creating more bureaucracy? Or is this really just about, we don't want a large U S tech monopoly coming in and, and, and buying this company or, or it could be Chinese for that matter. Um, we will wait and see. Hopefully it's more the latter rather than the former. Um, going back to Platt, Platt has hit, hit an all-time high over the holiday. Um, basically, this is since inception, so from late May uh, through you know now, if you'd put in $10,000, you'd have $11,364. Uh, what is that, like six, no, sorry, like seven months later? It's pretty good. I think they're going to continue to do very well over the course of 2020, even if you see other traditional industries falter, when you, when you actually see what these platform companies is, even uh, I'm not saying that there's going to be a recession, but even when there is a recession, when capital is harder to come by or you're more frugal with the investments that you're making, you're tightening your belt, the platform companies have plenty of access to capital. Not the ones that have a $5 billion market cap, but 
um, for certainly the ones that are more in platform conglomerate type of status, they have the wherewithal to continue to get plenty of access to capital, to continue to reinvest earnings into growth, uh, and and really double down on growth initiatives, even in a time of a softening economy, which I'm not saying is what's going to happen in 2020. But the point is that they can use those periods um, to continue to make bets where other more traditional incumbents don't have that luxury. They don't have that leeway from Wall Street. Um, so net net, they fare very well, clearly, when you have a, a an up market. And I think if and when we do have a, a softening market or a down market, we will see that over the long term, uh, they actually come out ahead due to how they're able to invest and, and make uh, continued investments in, in these new bets or, or new businesses that they're spinning up or spinning out. So the last thing here is ah, this. We're kind of doing the world tour. We will go, we've got plenty of material about the U.S. Don't worry, we're talking about that tomorrow. Uh, but world tour, we went from Russia and China. Now let's go to Europe and GDPR. It says, we have a huge problem, the European tech regulator despairs over a lack of enforcement when it comes to GDPR. The world's toughest privacy law proves toothless in the eyes of many critics. And it goes on to lament that the biggest penalty they were able to impose was a 50 euro, 50 million euro, 50 million dollar, yeah, 50 million euro fine from France on Google, which is still being uh, challenged, by the way, and they're appealing it, so it's not final, but they assess the fee, and that's all they got. What this article fails to mention is that they actually got much larger fines on Marriott and British Airways. And he, and and we covered this when this happened. This was this this came this was this penalty was in July of 2019. We covered this and we said, look, Marriott and British Airways, you know, what they're doing with their customer data was GDPR drafted with Marriott and British Airways. You know, as as the definition of the evildoers of people violating European people's privacy, um, and that we need to put all these rules into place because these evildoers, Marriott, British Airways, man, they just over encroach. They take advantage of their customer data so much. Absolutely not. There was no way that anyone was really even thinking of you put GDPR and Marriott and British Airways together. No one was connecting those dots. But the law was passed. The regulators wanted to make some money and do what they do, which is fine people. And they went after Marriott and British Airways. It's a joke. It's a complete joke. The companies that get penalized by these privacy laws are the ones that you should be trying to help. These are the incumbent businesses. These are up and coming tech companies that are trying to compete with the large tech monopolies. Those two groups of companies. They get slaughtered by this, not to mention small businesses and, you know, other just smaller startups. Um, basically, everyone but the large tech monopolies get hurt by this. That's why we've said that Facebook and Google and all the large tech monopolies should be kissing the feet of the European regulators 
because they're bozos. They put all these laws into place and it actually just helps the large tech monopolies. Facebook and Google, as a result of GDPR, have a larger share of digital advertising revenue in Europe post GDPR going into effect. Why is that? Oh, because GDPR created all these rules and laws and penalties and fines about what you have to do with your data. And guess who has the best technology and the best protocols around data to comply with all these rules? Google and Facebook. So, you know, thankfully the U.S. did not adopt these GDPR rules. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. Europe should get rid of GDPR. It's a joke. It really doesn't help anyone. You have to localize the data in each country individually. There's so much overhead. It's not worth it. And what are you trying to do? You're, you gotta, everyone, you go to a website and you got to click that stupid little disclosure every time. No one reads the disclosure, but you got to have the disclosure anyway. It's just annoying. It's not solving the problem. And you want to know what? Consumers don't really care about privacy. You want to know who cares about privacy? Politicians and the media. And the media cares about privacy because they hate Google and Facebook and they think that this is a way to bring them down because Google and Facebook have destroyed the media's entire business model. Um, and the politicians, I don't know why the politicians are so hopped up on it, but they, you know, they clamor to it. If you wanted to pay, like we've covered uh, Wikipedia's new um, um, WT Social. It's a paid for social network, like 12 bucks a month. It had a nice initial uh, launch. I joined it. Like two months later, I had five friends on it. And so I canceled it. I'm not paying 12 bucks a month. I got five friends on there. Why do I need to use this? It's expensive. And why are you going to pay for this when you have a free alternative? You're just not going to do it. Um, and that was whole WT Social's whole thing is we're going to protect your privacy, but you're going to pay us $12 a month. It's not cheap. Um, to be in the social network. And you're kind of like, well, no, I don't, don't want to do that. Um, so look, when it comes to privacy, the regulators continue to miss the ball and they try to create these like one size fit, fits all laws, right? Where what they're not appreciating is that every platform business is very unique. Every large tech monopoly is its own animal. And you need... When you do look at regulation, um, you need company-specific regulation. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Now, we've said you got to focus on the supply side rather than the privacy side. When it comes to antitrust, you're never going to win an antitrust case focusing on privacy. Um, and you need to look at the supply side. But that's a... We've spoken about that many times. We'll, we'll be digging more into that because there have been some interesting develops, developments over the past couple of weeks on this. You know, at least when it comes to... This, you know, these privacy concerns, it's just, it strikes me as so ironic because everyone, oh, it's such an uproar. Oh, Google and Facebook and, you know, Marriott and British Airways, man, they're really horrible, invading our privacy. What about these governments? What about Russia? What about China? What about the United States and our agencies? You want to talk about privacy? You want to talk about, um, snooping on what you're doing online and doing it at least you're giving at least you're giving consent to a google or these companies right you are at least 
voluntarily using their service and you now understand that they're going to go and sell your data for ads. Okay. But when you have a government agency sucking down all of your data without your explicit permission, doing whatever they want with that data, that's not okay. So there's just so much irony amongst these politicians. Or It's just the politicians love to create all this hullabaloo about tech companies taking advantage of your privacy. But what they don't want to do is say, what about government taking advantage of my privacy without me giving them any permission to do it? using it for whatever purposes that they want to do. We've seen countless examples of data being abused uh, in this country and certainly elsewhere. And so you really want to talk about data privacy. That's where you should be focusing rather than trying to whack these guys with some fines that's never going to work. And then you just take out and you actually prevent competition. It completely backfires. Um, So yeah, we have a lot more information on that. More to come. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today on Winner Take All.